We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, friends. Welcome to Kirk Your Enthusiasm. Today, I am joined by my friend, Katie Heindahl. How are you doing, Katie? I'm doing well, buddy. How are you? You know, we were just whining, or I was just whining, yeah. pre-show, that I don't really <laughs> want to be doing anything. But basketball is about to rev up. We're recording here on Wednesday morning, the day the schedule is going to release. Uh, and we have, you know, some stuff to talk about, finally. But if you're unfamiliar with Katie, first of all, she writes for, she writes her own Substack called Basketball Feelings, which is one of my favorite places to read uh, things. Your Katie, your post Vegas piece was particularly delightful. It's you, you do it when you write in your Basketball Feelings blog. It's like the sort of writing nobody does anymore, and mm-hmm. I really love that. She is also a prolific freelancer. I found her stuff at Dime Blog. Dime Blog's Up Rocks, right? Yes, it's it's owned by Up Rocks now, but it's own little protected entity. Yes, yes, and. <laughs> Uh, is also co-host of the Dishes and Dimes podcast, which mm-hmm. I listened to a couple times during the playoffs when I was trying to figure out what everybody was thinking about my Mavs. Um, <laughs> so first of all, guys, if you haven't checked the show notes yet, go ahead and take a look because I've dropped the link into Katie's most recent piece that I've read, written about three days ago, uh, called Exits, the Dualities of Dallas, where you write about the Mavericks and really kind of about the city in North Texas in general. Um, and I don't want to spoil any of it because I don't think I would do any of the piece justice. But, you know, as you're kind of making your way through the off season, what sort of kind of drew you to to start thinking about the Mavs and write this piece? Well, I started this series, uh, this is part of a larger series called Exits, which I did for the first time last uh, year. And I always start it with a lot of energy and freshness. And then when I get to this point, I'm like, (laughs) but it's basically, I write write one of these for every team that's been eliminated from the playoffs in the order that that team is getting. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So again, like when you start, you're like, this is fresh. I remember Mm. these games well. And then you get to these ones, you know, in the case of 
of like the Western Conference Finals, Eastern Conference Finals, which is where I'm at now. And it's like, I got to go back and like jog my memory. Um, but the the way that I like get really into these is by also like delving into history of places. Some of the places I've been before, you know, in the case of like American cities or the states that these cities are based in. And I, there's always usually something that's like very intriguing or kind of catches my imagination or jogs my memory a little bit. Um, but the maps were kind of tricky because, you know, Kirk, I have to admit, I didn't watch so much Mavs basketball because I kind of have a love-hate relationship with Luca. Sure. <laughs> sure, lots of people do. My, my buddy Andrew Sharp. Me. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew Sharp will not, he's like, I don't, I hate your team. He's like, I will not watch your team because I don't like watching Luca. And I, and I can understand that because it's a, it's a, sometimes it's a stylistic preference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm not at the, I'm, well, I'm not, I won't even say biggest. I am not a Jason Kidd fan. Um, mm. But there's like, a, there are glimmers of, of this team that I like, which is why I actually like writing these and kind of delving in and taking a, probably longer than I should, but it's the time I need, but you know, like days to kind of do the research and go back and dig around because it always reminds me of like, a silver lining of a team even if it's a team i don't necessarily like that much or follow that closely there's always something that is very like intriguing and and ends up being kind of like weirdly even beautiful to me which happened sure. with the maps i gotta say <laughs> yeah and and that's why it's like that's why it's like i'm kind of and to a certain respect it's a little bit difficult to talk about the piece because it's so it, it bounces around between the city and elements mm-hmm. of of what happened with this Mavericks team and I got into kind of a fun argument with my with my uh, team over at Mavs Moneyball about your piece because one of the things that I thought was uh, particularly insightful <clears throat> that half of my group disagreed with was that you talked about how the Mavericks in the playoffs um what worked so well for them is it inevitably what led to their demise? Mm-hmm. I, I think in mm-hmm. that the Warriors just the way the Warriors play basketball is really unlike so many other teams. And they just and this happens to like most of the league, but is this particularly the Mavericks seem to squeeze so much blood from a stone that the Warriors basically exposed every single uh, like weakness that the team had and kind of a I know it was, it was a little bit of a like it wasn't quite going out sad, but it <laughs> you know, after like such a fun playoff run, it was really. It was really wild to watch the what the Warriors do turn everything the Mavericks did well on its head. Particularly, you referenced like elements on defense where guys, you know, where the Mavericks had been so good at at wing defense, where all of a sudden like cuts were occurring where they just weren't ready for it. And mm-hmm. I've been thinking about that a lot the last several days. You know, as you and I've tried to schedule this because it's funny. I don't know how you correct for that other than getting better players <laughs> is that is that too mean I don't really know I mean it's me yeah that's a little mean I would just I think what was lacking for me is like this level of ingenuity right because what struck me going back and especially watching especially those sequences where like Luca will get double teamed and then the rest of the the team is just standing still literally frozen mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and then you've got the Warriors kind of cutting I mean you can't always like you can't really account for Steph Curry but the rest of the team you can but it's just like there were no answers because when your whole system comes down to just like rigor and habit you know and like these drills that it's like yeah you have them like they're rote memory like you 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 know where you should be at all times but when a team kind of comes in and explodes that because they don't act the way that you're expecting them to it actually reminded me of what the Mavs did to the Suns but then it happened to the Mavs like the Warriors just did the same thing to the Mavs and like you when you kind of 
take ingenuity out of the game, which is what struck me so much as some of Luca's frustrations mm -hmm. with that series because it sort of hobbled him, right? Like, and I wouldn't even call him the most like crafty or like, you know, player. Like that's not necessarily how he is, but even the way that he seemed kind of boxed in to not be himself emotionally, like, and this is me who I said, like, I don't really like watching him because I feel like he's a brat. He didn't look like a brat at all. And like, that was kind of a bummer. Cause it's like, where's Luca? Like he has to be the guy that's like frustrating the hell out of this opposing team. Right. And like, he didn't get under, he didn't get under anybody's skin. Like Draymond just kind of got under his skin. And I think without that freedom and flexibility and like, you know, mind games are part of, especially like at that level of the playoffs, right? Like they, they have to be. And it just kind of seemed like you got this polite version of what in the, the exit series previous to this, which was the Suns. I called the Mavs a rude team. Like they're a pretty rude team, but they didn't look like that at all against the Warriors. You know, the Warriors looked like they were just sort of having fun with them. And like, that's to me always the worst sign when you're watching a series. And that's when you're like, ugh, like this seems like it's going to be over. Right. And that's where it's made sort of discussing the off season and where the Mavericks go from here, particularly difficult because I don't want to rain on anybody's parade because I had a great time getting to the Western conference finals as a fan. And as a, I don't, I don't really go to games as media because I'm not really media. Um, but so it's like, I watch them very much from a fan perspective mm -hmm. and, you know, turning, I don't, they're going to have to change some things up because how they got there, I don't necessarily think is a sustainable thing you can replicate again because effort gets you so far in basketball, but at a certain point, other things start to win out like the way the Warriors did it. And it just, to a certain degree, what you just described reminded me of the 2007 Mavericks against, of course, the Warriors, where they mm -hmm. ran into a, a buzzsaw and simply could not adjust. And how you describe Luca in, in this is one of the kind of like ongoing arguments or debates I have with friends, because like today, in about two hours, um, Serbia and Slovenia play each other. And I'm pretty sure it's a friendly match, but it's going to be incredible because... Mm -hmm. The way the Euro rules work, particularly with zone defenses, forces all these teams to play an incredibly different style of basketball. It's like the NBA went from being very closed off and European basketball was the wide open game. And really, it's elements of it have switched. And as I've watched Luca play overseas, he plays wildly different. I mean, wildly different to where he'll be off ball. He'll set screens. He'll flash and he'll cut. Mm -hmm. And there's it's 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 a frustrating is not the right word. But the Mavericks have to figure out something to where you can get more out of him like that. Because I think as the team's built, the math sort of favors him doing this. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's he's simply a better option than Tim Hardaway taking it off the dribble. Like it's kind of, you know, you don't want to I don't want to disparage any of the rest of the team because I think they that what they did as a team was interesting. But for the Mavericks to take another step, particularly offensively, defensively, I think they what they did is at least if not sustainable i think they can build on it and luca could just play better defense that would help but offensively it's it's they're gonna have to figure out variations because otherwise you know the spread pick and roll luca drives luca kicks is not i mean the warriors just blanked it mm -hmm. i mean it was it was painful to watch so I don't know. That's that's where my head is, is because just seeing these two like contrasting styles of basketball played by the same sort of like generational talent is very odd. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I don't I've never really thought of the Mavs as like this mechanics team. And that's kind of what 
Jason Kidd had them doing. I see that it how it worked well during the regular season when I feel like the rules are generally a little bit more applicable. Um, but like the Warriors weren't even like the, sometimes they're not even drawing up a play, right? It's mm-hmm. just like Steph and Draymond like going out there and kind of watching for each other. And like you can't necessarily account for that. And it's not just to suggest that like the Mavs don't have smart players. Sure. But when you when you turn something so mechanical, you're kind of asking your players to not have to like be as spontaneous anymore, right? In mm-hmm. in the game. You, you're you're trying to take that guesswork away. But like again, to me, that level of the playoffs, like it's all guesswork. Like it is more randomized mm-hmm. than not. And I think that's where they got tripped up. Yeah. Yeah. So well, you you had a part in your piece, and again, don't want to spoil it, but you talked to <laughs> to Rick Carlisle. And Rick Carlisle is one of the reasons I don't go to games because in 2013, I went to a practice and wasn't paying attention whenever they were like clearing out during shoot around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he realized I wasn't paying attention and just lit me on fire. Um, And I'm like 25 and like, he's kind of like, He's got really stern professor energy. He's a stern, yeah, he's uh-huh. a very stern man. And I was just like, I'm not really a timid guy, but something about it, I was like, nah, uh, this, <laughs> no, this isn't for me. But, uh, you know, I wanted to know, like, you, you, you talk in this piece about him talking about Tim Hardaway. Tim Hardaway yeah. is a very fascinating piece for me. And I, I wonder if you could sort of expound on it a little bit, you know, just because he seemed to talk about Tim so lovingly, which amuses me he to did. a degree. He did. And I have to say, like, this was uh, I've I've interacted with like uh, I after that, I interviewed Jenny Busek and it had to all go through all the media requests for the Mavs at that time had to go through uh, Rick Carlisle. So I guess like I made a decent enough impression that he was like, yeah, you can talk to Jenny. Um, I don't know if it's the same as that anymore now that they're both gone. But mm-hmm. that was in. So it was in Toronto. I was writing a feature, which I did write. It's on Dime if you want to go back and find it. Uh, on Tim. Yeah. Uh, who I also found like I, I was I didn't want to get too into it, but this whole piece was about like dualities. And I find Tim Hardaway Jr. is a real has like that kind of duality that I was going after specifically in that moment. Like I went to talk to him pregame. He's like just outright refused me and his headphones on like super like, no, uh, they had a very he had a great game. Mavs had a bad game post game. Tim was like he was kind of. He was like freaking out a bit in the locker room. And it was sort of, like he was yelling and he was kind of tossing stuff. And I was like, great. Like I have to talk to him. Now is my only window. Right. But when I went up to talk to him, he just kind of switched. Like it was like he he went totally pro, super quiet. Just like we had a great conversation. So I was like, this is interesting. Anyway, but to, to Rick, um, he did his pregame uh, little media scrum in the tunnel and that's usually where you get, you know, your time with the coach. This was like pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's this time after that where you can go out on the court, at least in Toronto, um, and like warm-ups are still happening. Usually media is kind of cleared off to their seats. But I like to lurk around during that time because you never really know who you're going to see. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's worked for me. But I saw Rick. He was standing at the sideline, like at the baseline down where the Mavs were like just finishing their warm-ups. And I was like, well, I don't know. I just, there, no one was around him. Like, and he was kind of on the side that his media can usually loiter more freely on, not on the side where the assistants and the trainers are kind of sitting and looking at plays. So I just went up to him and was just, I introduced myself and just said, do you have a minute? Um, I'm writing something about Tim. It would be great to ask you a couple of questions. 
He was like, yeah, for sure. I think he was like, are you going to start recording? I was like, yeah, I will. Um, and again, like he just kind of switched. Like he is severe. Like he just has a severe, stern kind of aura. He's very also like tall. He's like almost like a militaristic posture, right? And he just kind of, he just softened. Like his whole body kind of softened. Like his shoulders went down. He, the way that he talked about Tim Hardaway was just like, with such, like, as you say, like, very lovingly and, like, kind of with a lot of joy, a lot of sympathy. Uh, he'd been hurt, like, the season before. That was, mm-hmm. like, when he was in New York. Um, he'd been out. Like, Rick was, like, you know, he was. He kept saying, like, he was playing on one leg and just, like, was talking about his recovery and rehab and just, like, what a difficult process that had been and just how important he was to the team at that time and what I think Rick wanted him to grow into, um, which is just this, like, a really important shoot like shooter mm-hmm. and like a shooting presence, but also just like a, a, a real intelligence on the floor, which like I had seen that in him before and kind of wanted him to land on a team where he could have that. I think that's, that is happening a bit. I think Jason Kidd sees that too. Um, but at the, t- like this was like Rick's plan for him at the time. And then there was sort of this lull and I thought we were all done. Maybe it was about like 10 minutes or something. And he was just like, and I love him. <laughs> and I still have the interview on my phone. That's because great. Just, that's that's so like, fun. Yeah. That's so and interesting. I know. And he was like, you got everything you need. I was like, yeah, that was beautiful. Thank you. Um, yeah. And I, it was just like a, it, it was less a conversation of like, you know, X's and O's and what does this guy kind of mean to your team than just like uh, expounding on the personal kind of qualities that he really liked in this guy. And then what that kind of, brought to the team which i you know i yeah i have a subset called basketball feelings obviously that's my dream <laughs> to talk yeah. like that about athletes but that doesn't always happen and that it happened with rick carlisle i know people you know maybe have their issues with him and he can be a little bit cantankerous but that was kind of that's just always like stuck with me obviously he always struck me you know, granted, I laid out some show notes, but let's just throw them out the window. Um, <laughs> Carlisle, like I defended Carlisle as a as a fan for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I sort of settled on the fact that with the Mavericks team that they have right now, he's not necessarily the right guy. But he squeezed so much from so many limited rosters. There was a year that the Mavericks lost to the Thunder in it's like 2015, maybe 2016. They lost the Thunder in the opening round of the playoffs 4-1. And the reason they won one game on the road was because he put Raymond Felton, fat mm-hmm. Raymond Feldman, in an incredible position to score like 20-something points and basically like lead the Mavericks as the Thunder shot like 30%. He was – he's such an interesting man in that he, he takes players who might – like all these guys have incredible skill. They're NBA mm-hmm. players. But he has the ability with certain guys – uh, I did this with OJ Mayo for a few months before Mayo wasn't able to, to, you know, make things work, but really get the most out of guys with specific skills. It's like he takes certain things as personal challenges <laughs> because Tim Hardaway, his career before the Mavericks, like he got a pretty good sized contract before the Knicks wanted to get rid of him, but he was looked at as like an albatross in yeah. the KP deal and arguably ended up being the best player. I mean, and and that's and I and and largely because I think you know the Mavericks and Rick Carlisle said, okay, Mr. Hardaway, do this, and you're going to get paid a lot of money, and he did, and I I find that sort of 
like that sort of basketball chemistry and coaching, particularly coaches who are able to like sort of see the seed in, in, in the genius. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I love that. Um, it's trust I, too, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. It's also like, it's a two way kind of trust, like not just in the coach, but like in a player like Tim Hardaway, who at that point in his career, it's kind of like, okay, are you going to redefine yourself? Like, what are you going to dig into? Are you going to become a role player? Like, what are your options? Right. Like there become less options for guys as they go forward in their career than when they started. And I think that requires some trust as this coach comes along and is like, I need you to do either like exactly this or take a step back mm-hmm. and kind of like meld your game more to our system or the way that we want to play this season to be, to be like, okay, sure. We'll let's see what happens in some cases. Yeah. What have you got to lose? But sometimes like it can conceivably backfire. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think it does speak to, good relationships and good trust. And, you know, there's, there's reasons why not all coaches have that right with their players. Yeah. And it's funny, Jonathan Sharks has told me for years, he's like more often than not with these players, it's about what they want to do until they get to a certain age where they realize what's best for them. Mm-hmm. You know, you, when you're one of the best players, like if you're the best 300 players in the world, who's going to tell you to do anything. And that is, that just sticks with me. And it helped makes me wonder that had, you know, a 28 year old Luka Doncic played with Rick Carlisle if that would have worked as opposed to a 19 year old Luka Doncic because yeah. those two those two never never clicked um I think Rick yeah. valued his genius but I don't think they worked for very you know for understandable reasons between a 19 year old and a 60 year old man but I don't know it's it's something that I wonder you know the way you the way you and some of the people who I've uh, figured out don't you know they appreciating Luca versus liking watching him are two very different things. And so as I, I go through this summer is, you know, we have all this just time to think about basketball and, you know, we get to watch a little bit of it, but it's a different deal. That's just, that's sort of on my mind. Um, let me go back to my, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think what's going to happen this coming season, because there, there's something to be said for like suffering that kind of defeat for a star like Luca, mm-hmm. it's gonna, I think it will, I, I like hesitate to use the word humble because I don't think that the kind of like I don't mean that in a connotation like he has to be humbled. He's you know, like I don't think anybody necessarily needs to be. I just think that's going to do it's going to add some kind of gravity, I think, to his game going forward, because I think when you get that close to something and you realize like he looked really kind of. I mean, he looked sad, but he looked almost just like cowed in those post games, like yep. when they lost and he was just like I he was so demure and like just quiet and he was just like kind of at a loss almost he's like i guess i you know i gotta play better defense and, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. and like his voice was really soft and kind of like, looked like a, a kid he did look like a kid yeah he looked like a kid and i think um i don't think it was on his defense necessarily only i just mean that you know yeah. he was processing that in real time and now he's had some time to go and play and be home again but i think you get that close you want it very badly again but you become much more realistic i think in what that's what might take so i wouldn't be surprised if luca maybe looks at himself as more of like a stakeholder in the team this coming season rather than just like a leader who kind of a star rather not a leader like a star who clocks in and out i i over at mavs moneyball we accept kind of 
pitches from you know I'm a fan site so we accept pitches and one of the funny things mm-hmm. about getting like a Slovenian fan base is all of a sudden you have these folks from overseas who are like I'm reading your site you're all wrong about Luca here's why well anyways this one guy <laughs> sent me a really long piece um that I wrote ran today that essentially talks about how what they're doing in Eurobasket right now with him and Drogic playing together is a role reversal for him and Drogic because Drogic was Batman and really led them in 2017 to Eurobasket and then stopped playing international basketball um whereas Luca has continued to play with the Slovenian basketball team. And they've basically finished three straight times in international competitions in fourth place. Like they got, you know, mm-hmm. they, they played uh, in the, the bronze medal game against Australia last year. Slovenia has 2.1 million people, which is one fourth the size of Dallas. And they made it all the way. And this, this writer basically made the argument that this sort of stuff where Luca wants to represent his team, um, is forcing him into a leadership role because what you said there, I think was interesting where you, where you said, you know, you you caught yourself, you said uh, leader. And then you said star, excuse me. And I think that like, that's a development point for him. Dirk Nowitzki had the same issue. Um, He was a quiet guy play reflect, you know, he wasn't like Luca in the demonstrative sense, but that sort of thing where you, you sort of like have leadership hoisted upon you, even if it, Mm -hmm. it, it works for really transcendent players, I think it sort of works itself out over time. I'm hopeful for him because um, I think that a lot of what you described there, it's like, this is a guy who, I don't know, we've seen NBA superstars that just like, they don't take losing in a way that is constructive. They take it mm-hmm. in, a, you know, they try to, we've seen some of them shirk responsibility. And I, I don't know, something about that gives me a lot of hope for Lucas still. I mean, obviously he's great, but that's, we're, we're sort of talking like bigger picture things here. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I only told you I'd keep you 25 minutes. We're 25 minutes, but I have a couple more questions for you. Um, and I also told you good luck because I know myself, Kurt. <laughs> no, I do. My co-host and I, like we do these, we do these post game shows and we're like, yeah, we're only going to talk for 15 minutes and we ramble for 30 minutes. And it's like, Never how do we happens. do that 82 times a year? Um, <laughs> what? You know, what are some things that you're like looking forward to this season? Like we're sort of in the like the just the dark ages of NBA time where everybody's unhappy, like because, you know, everyone wants Katie to work itself out like all these. I'm tired of hearing about these players. So I'm really looking forward to like bigger picture stuff for the actual basketball. Is there anything that, that you're looking forward to? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to um, the young, like the young, very fun teams, I think mm-hmm. that I think will be fun this year so i mean i am a pistons i'm a secret pistons fan am i is it a secret anyway i am a pistons fan uh and i'm very excited for that team oh they're gonna be Uh, so fun they're gonna be like it's gonna be messy and weird and it's like gonna backfire at times well kate cunningham is a quiet psychopath i don't think most nba fans understand this there's like all these guys are competitive this is a different dude he is yeah. nuts. And so like that he's not going to accept this for three straight years. Like he's just, just not going to happen. They're yeah. going to be fun. Yeah. I think they're going to be a lot of fun. I'm very excited to watch the Cavs. Um, Jared Allen's like one of my all time. I mean, we're talking about that trade that brought like Tim and Porzingis. I think of the trade that like that Jared Allen was involved in, like with James Harden. And I still feel like Jared Allen to the Cavs. That was just like a train robbery for the Cavs. Like they never would have got Jared Allen, like if it didn't take that kind of three-way trade to get him. So, Uh um, you know, and he, he was, I'm glad he didn't, I'm glad this sounds, I'm just glad the Cavs didn't get very far because there was a point last season where he was like, I might just play and like put off this surgery I have to have, but he's like, I hate when that happens because he's like a young guy. Never works out well. 
it's not worth it, right? Like mm-hmm. you'll be back there. Like the Cavs will be back there again this season. There's no reason why they won't. Uh, I am excited to watch the Raptors. <laughs> I am excited to see Scotty Barnes uh, on the floor again, just like based on the kind of footage I've been seeing with their camps this summer and what they've been doing. Um, I'm a bit curious about the heat. You know, I feel like there's some, I'm kind of surprised PJ left, honestly. I mean, it's good for PJ. Um, PJ should be getting the contracts, like the big contracts now at this point in his career, if he wants to go and not stick around on a team that seems to have to, a lot of stuff to work out still. Um, yeah, I, I don't know the West. I know everybody's like, oh, the West, the West is crazy, but it's not clarified as much for mm. me. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to maybe see if the Clippers like pull an identity out for themselves instead of being this weird metaphysical basketball team. No, they're, they're like an empire that's never quite come together. Like you're, you're, you're and my friend Rob Mahoney wrote a really good piece that busted out in the middle of summer league on it. And they're just on paper. They look like a horrifying dreadnought. (laughs) <laughs> but this game is not played on paper and half their team is made up of guys that could fall apart at any moment. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize how many surgeries Paul George had. That dude's a cyborg. Yeah. I mean, anyhow, I, I interrupted you. Sorry. No, it's okay. I was going to say Rob's my friend too. He was on the basketball feelings podcast. We were joking around that it was Texas week because it was Rob on the podcast. Then I wrote that thing about the Mavs. He's so. my first boss. Really? Yeah, not a bad yeah. boss to have. I mean, we can yeah. talk about it off off air if there's he's, anything he's, bad. He's great. No, this is funny. It's embarrassing. I'll I'll, t- <laughs> I'll tell you the story because it'll take five seconds. The first piece I ever turned in was like this recap thing, and I wrote uh, the first sentence was it was a tale of two halves. And the first thing I'd ever written, and his only piece of feedback back was, "Don't do this." <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but you were so great. excited. That's fine. You know. Oh. Rude, rude of no, me, Rob. Rob's great. He's like, <laughs> he's, he's, like he's so you hear it in his voice, and it's like, oh, okay. It's yeah, Rob, I know. So. I can, I can hear it. Um, what else? I mean, there's plenty to be excited about. I feel like I'm always like in the fall. Like, we're fresh, you know. Like mm-hmm. it seems like kind of anything's possible. A part of me is even like ready to be duped by the Lakers again and see what happens there. <laughs> the KD stuff, like I'm not. It's not that I'm sick of hearing about it. I'm kind of just like at this point, it feels like nothing will materialize. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it should be good. Like I, I think we're still getting back into the rhythm after like two pandemic seasons mm-hmm. of like what quote a regular season looks like right and this past season was the closest to that I think you can actually see it in like the happiness and the health of the athletes themselves too I think like that rhythm is really important for them so um yeah I I guess mine are more just like general generalities you know I think one of the things they learned from the scheduling post-pandemic was that both like teams these the clustered scheduling with conference and, and division opponents I really look forward to seeing what kind of happens later today because certain things can swing, you know, the, the Celtics, this doesn't get mentioned when the Celtics went on their like tired, like their just their path of destruction. They also played Detroit, which was kind of not exactly at their best mm-hmm. from February on. So it's like, if you play a team three times, four times in a 40 game span, that sort of stuff can be really interesting because as we all know, over 82 games, you're not the same team. You're just net. So it's, you know, the, the Suns had beaten the Mavericks, I think like 12 straight times or something prior to the playoffs. Like it was ugly. Mm-hmm. And then the Mavericks won 
you know, six of seven, or I'm sorry, four of seven. It's like you know, crazy stuff happens. So I'm look like I'm like I know the the schedule release sometimes gets panned by people, but I love sort of projecting forward on that because you know what if certain team gets to play Zion um, when he's still figuring it out early. Like that's mm-hmm. as you know, I I, I I betted on him in Vegas as a MVP for, <laughs> for I put ten bucks on him because I'm like I just love watching that guy play. Yeah, he's just. <laughs> There's just so many little things that could that you know in, in the West you mentioned earlier like health is just I hate the fact that health is like always the deciding factor it's always the deciding factor but I'm I am like I've sort of reached my um like I, I don't want to do any work let's not be confused but I am ready to like watch basketball again like I'm ready <laughs> to like take it in I'm not ready to like manage my website or staff or anything like that um Fair. well before before I let you go. I need to um, I need to ask just sort of because I don't know enough about you. How did you get into all of this? Oh boy, um, <laughs> this being basketball well, coverage. Yeah, um, I've always written. I've always been a writer, but I have had like a, a string of other just like careers by now. So I do always. I mean, I consider myself coming to this late. Like I've always been a fan. I've watched basketball since I was a little kid and played it. Um, but I think that's really different. And for me, I remember I first started writing about it because to me, it seemed there was like a wariness in covering it quote seriously, because I do think as like a woman kind of entering that space, you get it. You, there's like a natural hesitation. At least there was in my head at that time, but I started writing for David Roth's then site, the classical. Um, I started writing NBA fan fiction Uh so if I'm remembering correctly, there was like one story about Paul Pierce being a vampire. There was another I, story about I'm Chuck remembering Hayes these. I getting was... lost in the desert, driving a Chuck wagon. <laughs> the classical <laughs> was the first thing I like paid for. I remember this because okay. I was super excited. Okay. There, God, yeah. that site was good. Roth needs to. Um, it was phenomenal. And then I started to write them only on Halloween. Um, but like David and I would have like an annual kind of Halloween thing. I still do them now at Basketball Feelings and David will write the foreword. I've done two there so far. Um, but the classical is gone now. I think David just like didn't pay for that. I, I actually name. looked stuff up on the Wayback Machine because one of my friends okay. named, named Andrew Tobolowski wrote a few pieces there that I just like that are some of like my favorite things that anyone has ever written. And so I have them saved. So it's like I will okay. go look do keyword searches like it'll take forever because the Wayback machine doesn't really like work that well but like mm-hmm. there's it, i tease i've teased roth about this a few times like that site was like d- does he need anyone to pay the thing because there's just so much good stuff on it anyway he's told me that he's gonna like bring it back at some point but well like david's a busy guy i hope he oh, yeah. does because then i'm like a part of me is like oh shoot i've lost all those stories um but then i thought like you know what yeah like i maybe i want to try and attend way so mm-hmm. i started writing for a raptors site called raptors republic oh, yeah. was the editor-in-chief and i remember like pitch cold emailing like because by then i'd been writing for other like i knew how to pitch like i was writing not basketball stuff like you know like politics writing like social commentary like sure. music writing and all kinds of stuff and i had sent him this really formalized pitch which is i'm laughing now because i you know the the vibe of the site was very much not that and he was like yeah you can do something like we'll we'll try you out <laughs> and i wrote something and he was like okay this is great you can write for us um so i did that and then i think that 
like was a nice soft entry into what was then a very insular world of raptors coverage and raptors people um and like obviously you know it's a it's a it's a fan site it's like a team site but from that first i think maybe tried to emulate voice of what you see is you know typical sports writing but realized pretty quickly again like it's not really my voice it's not what i'm interested in writing about and mm-hmm. once i got much more comfortable with the topics i like which is which are more just like you know where personal stories and kind of like mm-hmm. the culture side of stuff like coincide and sometimes crash into the game stuff. So I just started pitching more widely, met a lot of the people that you and I both know now. Um, and just like, yeah, found, like found my fits places. I mean, it I took, love it. Took a lot of time. I, like, I love it. Nobody writes years? like you. Like, thanks I, man. I, I mean, I, cause it's, <laughs> You know, we I, the site I write for, and if any of my editors happen to be listening to this, love that you love that you let me write, but you don't like that this like certain places just so much of it is content mill, um, <laughs> and you know it, there's a market for it, but there's also a market for really beautiful basketball writing, which is why all of you people need to go click on the show notes, the very last link. I've linked it in there three times, but this one specifically says go give Katie a subscription. <laughs> Basketballfeelings.substack.com. And she's regularly putting out stuff. And I re- like mm-hmm. that if for anybody that that hasn't used Substack before, it's pretty phenomenal because like if you have multiple Substack subscriptions, they all download the, the app and it's really easy to it's like, do you remember when they took got rid of Google Reader like a billion years yes. ago and the internet yeah. melted? Like, like Substack is giving me slight. <laughs> slight e-reader vibes where it's like things just come to you that you like so mm-hmm. that is that is my pitch why everyone should should get out there and and go give katie a a sub because it is great stuff a great um, pitch thank you for do, that i need to do it too so forgive me that i haven't yet but i i get all my stuff like well, you know in july is when all my subscriptions hit and i was like wait why do i have 500 dollars on my credit card oh it's for the stuff that i that i pay for well, so, you can, I mean, you can toss me a couple bones, but Basketball Feelings is free. The paid the paid option gives you the podcast. The paid option also supports my work. Absolutely. But it's $7 Canadian. So for your audience, that's like a basement bargain. Sure. With the conversion. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Well, thank you for giving me so much of your Wednesday um, early afternoon. I appreciate the time. I appreciate you having me. What a great interlude to the week, Kirk. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I run this pod, like we have this feed, but I tend to run all the episodes through it and I name them different stuff every time. And I've not in season, I don't get to do Kirk, your enthusiasm episodes because there's too many games, Mm -hmm. but it's so fun to say. And Kirk is fun to say. So, yeah, it's great. (laughs) Well guys go through all the links, give Katie a subscription, give her a follow on Twitter because she has the fun, like probably whatevs is a phenomenal twitter handle it, and i didn't get it in first until i said it out loud uh it took me a while but anyways uh guys, i'm not <laughs> sure what else i'm gonna have up this week i need to keep recording i'm trying to like bother different friends but <clears throat> a lot of people just don't want to work right now and i don't blame them because i don't want to work either so we'll probably have something up um about you know the coming Eurobasket and anything else i can think of but right now it's it's mainly just waiting until uh until Eurobasket's going full force and then uh, training camp, which I think kind of gets pushed back to the second half or almost end of September at this point. So everybody enjoy your week and I will talk with you soon. Bye guys.
The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com